أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام را تلك آيات الكتاب المبين إنا أنزلناه قرآنا عربيا لعلكم تعقنون نحن نقص عليك أحسن القصص بما أوحينا إليك هذا القرآن وإن كنت من قبله لمن الغافلين إذ قال يوسف لأبيه يا أبت إني رأيت أحد عشر كوكبا إني رأيت أحد عشر كوكبا والشمس والقمر رأيتهم لي ساجدين قال يا بني لا تقصص رؤياك على إخوتك فيكيدوا لك كيدا إن الشيطان للإنسان عدوم وكذلك يجتبيك ربك ويعلمك من تأويل الأحاديث ويتم نعمته عليك وعلى آل يعقوب كما أتمها كما أتمها على أبويك من قبل إبراهيم وإسحاق إن ربك عليم حكيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We praise Him and we seek His assistance and guidance And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves And the adverse consequences of our deeds Whomsoever Allah guides, none can misguide And whomsoever Allah misguides, none can guide And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, I greet you with the greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Uh, it's a great honor to be sitting here amidst you all in programs dedicated towards sharing from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No doubt this is a blessed gathering. And no doubt the opportunities that have been presented to me and us all are blessed opportunities. The closest thing we have to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are the lessons that he left, his sunnah, and the ability to teach that sunnah. 
and learn his sunnah collectively, no doubt provides blessed opportunities. From the outset, I thank the brothers and sisters responsible for making our time together a reality. Indeed, the Prophet ﷺ taught us that he who cannot thank the people, he will fail in thanking Allah. That he who fails in thanking the people, he will fail in thanking Allah because thanking each other entails the lesser thanks. And thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entails the greater thanks. So if we fail with the lesser thanks, we will fail with the greater thanks. And I begin by sharing a heartfelt gratitude to our brothers and sisters responsible for my presence here so that I can go on to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thank Him for affording us this particular opportunity. Indeed, my presence here and your presence here is not just chance. It is the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was His decree, a decree that was recorded 50,000 years before the heavens and the earth was created, subhanallah. So we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma lakal hamd, hamdan kathiran, tayyiban, mubarakan fih, kama yuhibbu rabbuna wa yarda. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless our time right till its end and to gather us many a time in this life to learn from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Brothers and sisters in Islam, to kick off the very first uh, lecture for uh, the series um, that we will uh, witness together, uh, we've been given the topic um, of Surah Yusuf or lessons from Surah Yusuf. And it's very appropriate that we begin this series with uh, a topic related to a surah from the surahs of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an. For indeed the Qur'an is um, the foundation of guidance. And as Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in a hadith which is recorded both in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, he said, تَرَقْتُ فِيكُمْ مَا إِن تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِ لَن تَضِلُّ بَعْدِي أَبَدًا كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّتِي That I leave with you two things. If you hold steadfast onto them both, you will never ever go astray. And these two things are the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Surah Yusuf is a special surah. And no doubt all the surahs in the Qur'an are special. But Surah Yusuf carries unique attributes such as the fact that it is the only surah in the Qur'an that entails a story from its beginning right till its end. And a story related to one family Ya'qub alayhi salam and his family, his children, and in particular, Yusuf alayhi salam. And this particular surah was revealed just before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam migrated to Medina, which means it's a Makki surah, because Makki entails revelation before hijrah. Every time you open the Mus'haf and you see next to the name of a surah, Makki or Madani, you need to understand that Makki means it was revealed before Hijrah. And Madani means it was revealed after Hijrah. So Surah Yusuf was revealed before Hijrah. And it was also revealed after um, the passing away of Khadija radiallahu anha. And Abu Talib, who was the greatest supporter of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa from the disbelievers. And also after the Muslims were sanctioned for a period of time by the Quraysh in that no trade was to be done with them 
uh, no food was to be sold to them, uh, and so on and so forth. They went through years of being sanctioned. Then the death of uh, Khadija radiallahu anha and Abu Talib. And then also, after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam goes to Ta'if and he's stoned at Ta'if. So you can imagine this is a difficult period for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The reason why I highlight this is for us to understand uh, some, or, or for us to have some depth in terms of our understanding of this particular surah. It was revealed at such a time, uh, perhaps the hardest time uh, in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the hardest time of his da'wah. In fact, he himself um, speaks about how the hardest moment in his da'wah uh, being the moment when he went to Ta'if and was stoned at Ta'if. And he called out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, with great weakness, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the surah. And through this we understand that the surah has many objectives. From the greatest objective was to soothe the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And to soothe the sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een. Those who were with him, who were going through the same turbulence that he was going through for the simple fact that they said La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah for the simple fact they were going through this turbulence so here comes Surah Yusuf at this time and we know the Quran was revealed over a period of 23 years as Paneed um, and also as per the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, and here comes Surah Yusuf um, given the reality that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Muslims are going through so one of the uh, reasons, the underlying reasons for the revelation of the surah was uh, the, the difficult period that the Muslims were going through. Because to get through any difficulty, you need patience. And Surah Yusuf uh, epitomizes the reality of patience. Uh, because we look at a grieving father who grieves the loss of his son for decades. And then we look at a young boy who was extracted from the home of his father by the closest people to him and left uh, lost uh, and far away from his family for decades as well. And when Allah reunites this family, uh, we find uh, the boy who was taken from his father's home, he is still upon Islam and he is still upon Tawheed, even though he grew up uh, in environments of shirk and idolatry and uh, weak character. No doubt, this is a surah of patience. That irrespective of what happened, this boy exercised patience and grew up to uh, remain steadfast upon his deen. And a father who never lost hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the story, he is uh, speaking to his, child, uh, to his children about Yusuf and to have good hope in Yusuf being alive and to go look for Yusuf even though uh, his children were losing hope in his calls and in his messages. And then along this, the surah really is unique because of the lessons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed around it. For this particular surah is a surah about education. It's a surah about economics. It's a surah about leadership. It's a surah about parenting, about sibling rivalry, about relationships, about the importance of forgiveness before redemption which makes it a surah of character, a surah of it's a surah of justice. Um, it's a surah of knowing how to use your faculties, 
when to use it. It's a surah of wisdom, doing the right thing at the right time, in the right way. It's a surah of effective families, uh, productive citizens, proactive communities. And we can go on and on and on. Really, anyone who uh, reads Surah Yusuf with a cautious eye, uh, you will see subhanallah that Allah has so many lessons in the apparent meanings of the ayah. And then when you ponder over the meanings further and continue re-reading the surah, more, even more lessons are thrown out uh, to you. And that is why Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, one of the famous scholars of our past, he eloquently says that Surah Yusuf has more than 1,000 lessons for the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I wish he wrote the book with these thousand lessons. Uh, he didn't. However, it is a challenge for us to ponder so that we can extract these thousand. And uh, you, can, you can understand from these brothers and sisters in Islam that there's no way in, in, in one hour or 45 minutes we're going to give any justice to even a portion of this particular uh, surah. However, uh, inshallah, I will try and do an overview of some um, of uh, the lessons that I feel we are in great need of uh, in today's day and age. Obviously, uh, the opening of the surah entails this, this conversation between Yusuf salam and his father. And uh, these are the ayat that I recited to you uh, at the opening of this particular series. But inshallah, I'm not going to teach you the lessons of these ayat tonight. I will postpone the lessons of these ayat to uh, the upcoming lecture, which I think happens on Saturday, which is titled, um, what is the title of the talk? Is it Leadership Begins at Home? I think that is one of the titles. Inshallah, I will postpone the lesson. So uh, this is uh, a kind way of nudging you to come back, inshallah, for the remaining lectures. Um, one of the lessons I want to start off with uh, for this particular evening from the surah, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, uh, is the importance of the tongue and using the tongue in an appropriate way. Because the tongue really, even though it's small in size, this tongue is a means for our salvation both in this life and the next. And it is also a means of our doom and destruction if we're not careful with it. Such a small piece of flesh, however, it's so sophisticated, right? It can speak many, it can be a means of us speaking many a language, a means of us tasting many an ingredient, and a means for getting us into paradise as well. And may Allah protect us, a means of a person entering the hellfire as well. The Prophet ﷺ spent much of his life teaching us lessons pertaining to the tongue and its correct usage. And the importance of truthfulness and honesty. And perhaps it is also a reality that even though iman is a matter of the heart, when you become a Muslim, you have to utter it using this tongue. It's a means of purifying this tongue and training this tongue. It has the first training because the first pillar of faith is to testify that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Right at the beginning of Surah Yusuf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins planting lessons for us to deduce related to the tongue. Right at the beginning, we are informed of this conversation between uh, Yusuf alayhi salam and his father, and how Yusuf alayhi salam turns to his father and says, Ya Abati, O oh my dear father, with utmost respect 
and utmost humbleness. And in the Arabic language, the scholars say that there are 10 ways to actually call out to your parents. The softest being you saying, Ya Abati, as Yusuf alayhi salam calls out to his father. And we see this reciprocation in how Yaqub alayhi salam speaks to his son. In how Yaqub alayhi salam says, Ya Bunay, oh my dear son, calls out to his son with the most softest and uh, most beautiful of mannerisms and ways. Uh, as opposed to some of, what, some of what we hear today in terms of some parents today, inshallah, no one here um, does that where they, you know, sometimes call out to their children using the names of some animals like maybe monkey for perhaps Allah al-musta'an. Some parents go far and above that by calling out to their children using the term shaytan, Allah al-musta'an. These are not terms to be using when we speak to our children. Why? Because your children develop upon the environments that you create for them. If you keep on calling them monkey or shaytan, then they will develop into having characteristics that are close to the nature of the terms that you use. They are impressionable years that they go through. The way you speak to them, the way you call out to them, will mandate how their mind matures, how their emotions mature, right? And uh, how their characters mature as well. So very early on, we see the correct usage of the tongue here. How Yaqub calls out to his son, saying, Ya Bunay, Ya Bunay, Ya Bunay. And we see the son easily and naturally calling out to his father, saying, Ya Abati, O oh my dear uh, father. So this is an example very early on in Surah Yusuf of the correct usage of the tongue. As the story progresses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about a meeting that takes place between the brothers, whereby they feel that their father is favoring Yusuf over them. And now shaitan has allowed jealousy to sprout in their hearts and they're having a meeting about this. They want to solve the problem. They want their father to look at them again. Even though this wasn't the case, by the way, for Yaqub alayhi salam was a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he was naturally being as any parent would be to a younger child. Any parent would treat a younger child with more care and support and concern than they would their older children. It comes with the territory. As the children get older, they, they, they have more confidence. Uh, it's natural that now the parent's eye turns towards the child that is more in need. Uh, and it's incorrect for the older children to feel that now uh, our parents are looking after the one-year-old or the two-year-old or the four-year-old or the five-year-old that our parents, uh, they favor them over us. And this happens. This happens. I mean, some of the children sitting here, they might think about it if they uh, honest to themselves that sometimes they get scolded for saying something, but the four-year-old doesn't get scolded. They say, but why when he says it, you don't scold him. When I say it, you scold me. But when he says it, you don't scold him. So you see, it, it's natural. Shaitan is there. Shaitan is a natural enemy. Your child is growing. He's impressionable. And he was used to receiving the attention from you. Now it's been taken away. Sometimes parents make the mistake of assuming that they understand. Right? So it's important, and we learn this from Surah Yusuf, from the lessons that Allah has planted within the ayat, is that we shouldn't take things for granted. Don't just assume. Communicate it well. Talk to your children. Right? When they get to seven, when they get to eight years old, talk to them that, look, it's not that I don't love you or don't care for you, but now you're a big boy or you're a big girl. And... Uh, your brother or your sister is younger, so naturally we will care for them as we uh, cared for you. 
But if you still want to wear a nappy, like how they want to wear a nappy, then let us know. <laughs> For example, I mean, no child, and I, I shared this example in the UK, I was there just a couple of weeks ago, when I had a, a, a program for the children, I said, look, you know, I asked them the question that now do you feel when your parents shout at you or scold you and they don't shout to, uh, at your younger brother and sister, do you feel that they're favoring them? They said, yes. They said, yes. So I said, okay, when, you're, when your mommy makes your little brother or sister wear a nappy, a pam, you know, pampers, and they don't make you wear pampers, do you feel that your parents are favoring them? They said, no. I said, why? I said, no, because he's small, he has to wear. I said, that's the same, same answer for the other circumstances. That when you're smaller, your, children, your parents are going to treat you in a particular way that they won't treat you when you're older. When, you have, when, you, when your brain has developed more. When you have greater responsibility. And this was also evidence for me that a lot of the children or a lot of the parents, they assume that the children understand. They've grown up and we're moving along. Life is evolving. This is the evolution of life, right? And they will get with the program. So very quickly we learn in, in uh, this particular surah as well that we shouldn't take things for granted. We should communicate. The reality was Yaqub alayhi salam was taking care of Yusuf because Yusuf alayhi salam was naturally younger than them and any parent would naturally do that with uh, their children. It's not a case of favoritism and it's haram to favor. And we know that Yaqub alayhi salam was a prophet of Allah. He was guided by Allah. He wouldn't do this. Now, where do we have the lesson about the incorrect usage of the tongue? The lesson of the incorrect usage of the tongue is in this meeting that these older brothers are having. For when they're having this meeting, they say that this is the reality with our father. He favors Yusuf over us. He loves him more than, uh, more than us. And we need to do something about it. As you can see, they are saying this with their tongue. This is an, the incorrect usage of the tongue. You are articulating falsehood. And this is haram. They go on to say, Uqtulu Yusuf. Let's kill him or kill him or get rid of him. This is articulating haram. Which is haram. This is the incorrect usage of the tongue. And during this conversation, someone from them says, Look, why don't we just throw him down the bottom of a well? Why don't we just throw him in, uh, down the bottom of a well? That way we save ourselves from the major crime, which is killing. And in the same breath, we get rid of him. Now if we analyze this whole discussion here, if you sitting on the outside listening to this conversation, and you pondering over it, you will see a lot of misusage of the tongue. And then you'd probably say, you know, the guy who said, throw him down a well, he was the savior of Yusuf. Because if that suggestion didn't come through, they were suggesting an actual murder. Right? So you would probably see this person in some good light. But the reality is, this person is part of a wrong meeting. And he is witness to incorrect usage of the tongue. And ideally, this person should be stopping this discussion. But he doesn't. Yes, he participates in a way which worked out better for Yusuf salam. but in reality, he was supposed to stop the madness. Do you agree or disagree? But he doesn't. And that is why when Allah tells us this portion in the Qur'an, Allah doesn't mention his name. Allah says, قَالَ قَائِلٌ مِّنْهُمْ لَا تَقْتُلُوا يُوسُفُ 
Someone from them said, Don't kill Yusuf. Rather, throw him into the bottom of a well. Allah doesn't mention the name here. Doesn't give us any indication of who this speaker is. Why? Because this is the sunnah of Allah in the Quran. Whoever reads the Quran and ponders over the Quran, whenever someone does wrong, Allah doesn't expose them. Allah doesn't expose them. Unless they are people who made their affairs correct and Allah forgave them. We know Yunus alayhi salam, he made a mistake, then he was swallowed by the whale, and then what did he do? He praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the, in, in, in the belly of the whale. Right? La ilaha illa an subhanaka inni kunt min al-zalimin. So Allah says, had he not been praising Allah at that position, we would have left him in the stomach of the whale till the day of Qiyamah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us his story using his name because there's lessons in it and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him. When we look at the children of Adam alayhi salam for example, we don't have their names. We just know that there were two sons from the children of Adam alayhi salam and he had many sons because one killed the other. Even in the story of Yusuf alayhi salam, we never ever get told the name of the minister's wife. She's always referred to as the minister's wife. Right? Because she was, she was doing some pretty uncool things, if I can use children uh, or youth, uh, youthful English. Right? She was not doing things which were praiseworthy. So her identity is kept hidden. The minister, his identity is kept hidden. The king, his identity is kept hidden. Right? And with regards to the brother who didn't speak up and participated in the wrong conversation and using his tongue in the wrong way, Allah keeps his identity hidden. But if you fast forward the story to when Yusuf alayhi salam is now in charge of the finances of Egypt and the brothers come and somehow Yusuf alayhi salam managed to get his other brother who was innocent when the crime happened, managed to get this brother to stay in Egypt. After all the brothers collectively promised their father that we will not lose another brother. Now we're not in the brother losing business, huh? We lost the brother a long time ago. Now we took the other brother. The father said, hey, make a promise to Allah, you bring him back. Right? So now, obviously they've lost him because Yusuf has kept him. So technically they're going back without the other, without the other son. So they have a meeting again. And the brothers are saying, no, we should just go back and tell our father that this son stole and look, this is what happened. But one of the brothers says, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you not know we made a promise to our father? You see, he played his role. He took a stance. He used his tongue correctly. He stopped the misusage of the tongue. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions him. Allah says, Qala kabiruhum. The big one said, the eldest one said. At the beginning of Surah Yusuf, the scholars of Tafsir say that the one who spoke up and said, don't kill him, rather throw him into the bottom of the well, was the same one who was speaking at the end of the story. But at the beginning of the story, Allah says, قَالَ قَائِلٌ مِّنْهُمْ Someone said. And at the end of the story, Allah mentions His name. Why? Now this is how we ponder over Surah Yusuf and extract the lessons. Because at the beginning, He used His tongue incorrectly. And at the end, He used His tongue correctly. And thus we extract the correct usage of the tongue from the lessons of Surah Yusuf. In Surah Yusuf, and this lesson 
about using the tongue correctly, do we learn how important it is to revise ourselves, brothers and sisters in Islam? These talks are not talks to share interesting knowledge. A lot of the times we attend lectures, and we attend these lectures because it's interesting. Let's see what's going to be said. It's an interesting topic. Maybe the speaker's interesting, right? Or I'm fascinated about this particular surah. But we shouldn't be people who come to learn knowledge because it's fascinating only. We should come to learn knowledge with the intention of putting that knowledge into practice. Because knowledge is not the goal in and of itself. It's not the objective. In and of itself. The objective of knowledge is putting it into practice. And as we discussed this lesson, brothers and sisters in Islam, lessons from Surah Yusuf, lesson number one, is the importance of correct usage of the tongue. We need to go on a journey with ourselves. So at least make a note that in the upcoming few days, I am going to have a meeting with myself regarding my tongue. Do I backbite sometimes? Which is a major sin. A sin which has been equated to eating the flesh of your dead brother. A sin about which the Prophet ﷺ said to his people, أَتَدْرُونَ مَلْغِيبَةً do you know what backbiting is? And the Sahaba said, Allah and His Rasul know best. So he said, It is you mentioning your brother in a way that he dislikes you to, uh, to mention him by. To remember him in a way which he dislikes in his absence. So someone from the Sahaba said, أَفَرَأَيْتَ إِنْ كَانَ فِي أَخِي مَا أَقُولُ O Prophet of Allah, what if I'm saying something about him which is true? Right? Maybe he does have a big nose. Maybe he does speak funny. Maybe he does have a big belly. Maybe it's true. This is things which I'm just sharing examples of, of how we slip up with our tongue today. And then when someone tells us, Brother, please don't backbite. Now why, why are you saying this about the brother in his absence? Why are you making fun of him in his absence? What do, what do some people say? They say, don't worry brother, I can say it to him, to his face. I can say it to him. What did the Prophet wasallam say? The Prophet wasallam said, إِن كَانَ فِي أَخِيكَ مَا تَقُولْ فَقَدْ اِخْتَبْتَهُ وَإِن لَمْ يَكُنْ فِي فَقَدْ بَهَتَّهُ If you say something about your brother in his absence, which he dislikes, which is true about him, that is backbiting. That is what backbiting is. وَإِن لَمْ يَكُنْ فِي And if you say something which is untrue about him, فَقَدْ بَهَتَّ You've slandered him. Subhanallah, in this hadith we see two wrong ways of using the tongue. Two ways that will land you into the hellfire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Ameen. And Surah Yusuf has many many more lessons pertaining to the tongue, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam. The importance of honesty. Allah tells us at the beginning of the surah, how the brothers after they kidnapped Yusuf and got rid of him, how they went home in the evening with crocodile tears. Yabgun, they were crying. And when they, saw, when they met their father, and their father saw them crying, they used their tongue in the correct way, in, in, in the incorrect way with their father. They said, this is what happened to Yusuf, and you won't believe us even if we're telling the truth. This is emotional blackmail. Another incorrect way of using the tongue. And we see this in communities today. In my travels, I have seen these brothers and sisters in Islam, and perhaps to the members of, uh, the elderly members of the audience, we need to listen to this. Emotional blackmail. 
Yes, kids do it to the parents with the, with the tears, with the crocodile tears and you know, uh, sometimes saying you love him more than me and you love her more than me and so on and so forth. That is incorrect, but parents do this as well. Like the common one. If you marry so and so, don't come to my grave. This is great emotional blackmail, which I've heard from many a parent's mouth when I'm trying to solve certain youth disputes with their parents. And as you can imagine when it comes to marriage, that the parents settle in a particular land so this child grew up in this land, eating the cuisines of this land, not the cuisines of the villages back home or the cities back home. He grew up speaking the language of this land, not the language of the villages or the cities back home. He has adopted the cultures of this land or some of the cultures of this land, right? And now through time in this land, he has set his eyes or she has set her eyes onto marrying a particular boy or a particular girl. But this is a problem for the parents. Why? Because even though the parents settled in this land, by definition, they are the son and daughter of the soil that they came from. And we try to impose certain uh, rules and regulations on our children. And when, it, when, when, it, when, it, when we see it's not working, because now they're older and they have these independent minds and so on and so forth. We come up with the emotional blackmail. Don't come to my grave. And if you do this, then, uh, you know, and sometimes even in our dua, we, make uh, we use our tongues in the incorrect way, making duas that we shouldn't be making. This is all incorrect uh, usage of the tongue. And we see this in Surah Yusuf. Because they're telling their father, this is what happened and you won't believe us even if we're telling the truth. Because you that guy who favors Yusuf over us. Allahu Musta'an. This is not the way to speak to your father, number one. It's not the way to speak to anyone, number two. Let alone your parents. It's not the way to speak to anybody. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights for, uh, this for us as well uh, in Surah Yusuf. And again, as we traverse through the rest of the surah, we see this. And brothers and sisters in Islam, uh, before we finish, the, 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 uh, I think we've understood that Surah Yusuf teaches us this lesson. Before we move on to another point of discussion from Surah Yusuf, it must be said, that this tongue makes you or breaks you. That's the reality. This small tongue in your mouth, it makes you or breaks you. And because it makes you or breaks you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed two gates in front of it. He only gave you one of it and placed two gates in front of it. But with regards to your ears, Allah gave you two of it and placed no gates in front of it. Think about it. Your tongue has your teeth in front of it, your jaws which you can shut. That's one gate. In front of your jaws, you have your lips, which you can shut. That's gate number two. Allah gives you one tongue, but gives you two gates to close it. But He gives you two ears, subhanallah, and no gates to block it. The tongue makes you or breaks you. How many a time have you uh, been in a gathering and someone enters the gathering, maybe it's, a, it's, it's even uh, a boy. Huh? A, a young boy or a, a young girl and they come and they sit with silence and immediately you develop this feeling of respect for them that there must be somebody you know somebody more mature someone more knowledgeable maybe there's uh, an elder in the gathering as well when he's quiet or she's quiet you really can't you can't call them out they are mystery to you and it's human nature by default to uh, afford them the respect. People who keep quiet are afforded uh, a form of respect that people who speak a lot aren't. It's just how it is. 
And there's a story that goes back to Imam Abi Hanifa, rahimahullah. I'm sure we know of this great Imam from the Imams of our past, uh, the Imam of the Hanafi Madhab. It says once he was teaching his students uh, the book of fasting. And naturally the Imam, you know, any teacher, when you have your students, I'm the same. When I'm with my uh, students who are regularly with me, you tend to become relaxed with them. Naturally, right? Uh, I'm the same. I'm sure you have other teachers you've experienced this with or teachers that you're close to. They, they tend to become relaxed with you. So once, one day Abu Hanifa was sat with his back against the wall and he had his legs stretched out. This is not what he would do normally. But he's with his students. Uh, they're close. You know, uh, we can relax the protocols a little bit. So he stretches out his feet and he's teaching the lesson. As he's teaching the lesson, this man with a white beard walks in. So Abu Hanifa folds his legs immediately. It's with more protocol. Natural reaction when you see a person uh, with a demeanor of respect. He folds his legs and he, he, he sits and continues the lesson. And this man comes, he sits in the front and he sits with great silence. Listening, using his two ears, absorbing everything that Abu Hanifa is saying. So, as the lesson is going on, finally he puts up his hand. He has a question. So Abu Hanifa says, go ahead, ask your question. So he says, uh, I have a question. My question is, you just said that on the first of Ramadan, you have to fast. He said, yes, that's true, that's the ruling. You have to fast. If you meet the conditions. He says, what happens if the first of Ramadan happens to be on the 10th of Dhul Hijjah? Uh, a lot of you guys are thinking that's a very good question. Huh? <laughs> You're probably thinking that's a very good question. What would we do? <laughs> do you get what's happening? He's saying, what happens if the first of Ramadan happens to be on the 10th of Dhul Hijjah? Can this ever happen? It can never happen. On 10th of Dhul Hijjah is the day of Eid, you're not allowed to fast. So he's asking this question. So Abu Hanifa was, th was thinking of the answer to this question. What can I say? So Abu Hanifa eventually says, if the first of Ramadan happens to fall on the 10th of Dhul Hijjah, then it's time for Abu Hanifa to stretch out his legs again. <laughs> Some of the children understood you understand what he's saying? He's, he's teaching us that this person was respectful until when? Until he opened his mouth. Then when you, when, when you open your mouth, you give away your, what's in your mind. You give away what's in your heart. That this tongue, subhanallah, it makes you or breaks you. So the first lesson, brothers and sisters in Islam, be an ummah that speaks less and listens more. And if you are going to speak, Look after the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ with your speech. If you speak, be truthful. And if you speak, say something good. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِن بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيَقُلْ خَيْرًا أَوْ لِيَصْمُتْ That whoever believes in Allah in the last day should speak goodness or remain silent. Using your tongue correctly, brothers and sisters in Islam, is from Iman. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever believes in Allah and the last day. This is Iman. Iman is belief in Allah 
and belief in the last days from the pillars of Iman. So it is from Iman to utilize your tongues correctly. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Ameen. From the lessons of Surah Yusuf, brothers and sisters in Islam, is how to be a worthy citizen irrespective of your circumstance and irrespective of your situation. And we learn this from Yusuf alayhi salam himself. For in this particular surah and the story, Allah teaches us that Yusuf alayhi salam was a citizen in a home. And then he was a citizen in a well. And then he was a citizen in a caravan of thieves who stole him. Then he was a citizen in a slave market, the slave market of Egypt. And then he was a citizen in the home of the minister of finance, as some of the historians say. And then he was a citizen in the prison before becoming a minister in the land and being a citizen of the country that uh, he was in, which was Egypt. The story of Yusuf alayhi salam begins in a land known as Canaan. And Canaan was a place in a land known as Palestine. But the story ends with the family in Egypt. And this is what makes Surah Yusuf epic as well. Because they say from the pillars of an epic story is the setting. Right? It, it, the story happens in an amazing setting. And what greater setting can you have than two of the most oldest civilizations that the world has ever seen? The civilization of Palestine and the civilization of Egypt. So Yusuf alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that he was a citizen in all these different environments. And as you can imagine, brothers and sisters in Islam, in most of the circumstances, he was an oppressed citizen. Right? When he was in the well, he was oppressed. When he was stolen and made to be a slave and transported to another land, he was oppressed. When the historians say, some of the historians describe the slave markets of Egypt, and they say it was an extremely scary place for a child, for a young boy, even a teenager. Extremely scary place. Why? Because people would be slapped around and treated like goats. Literally. How when you want to purchase a goat, you open the mouth of the goat, you check the teeth, you pull the ears, you check the ears. Right? You turn the goat this way and that way. This is how the, the slaves were treated before they were purchased. He was a citizen in this environment as well. He was a citizen in the palace. Right? The same palace in which he was accused of attempting to rape the wife of the minister. He was a citizen through that. But subhanallah, we see the lesson of how a Muslim should be proactive, irrespective of their circumstance or situation. That as long as you have Allah, you haven't lost anything. As long as you have Allah, you have everything still to do. And we see this with this boy. Because when he was abducted by his brothers, he was a citizen amongst a group of people that kidnapped him. But we see nothing negative about him in the Qur'an. He was thrown down the well. We see nothing negative coming from his mouth. His shirt was stolen. We see nothing negative mentioned there. Rather, we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving him an inspiration, a time of wahi. لَتُنَبِّئَنَّهُمْ بِأَمْرِهِمْ هَذَا وَهُمْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ That a day will come when you will tell them of what they did, when they won't even know who you are. Right? This is what Allah does to proactive people. Allah helps them and guides them. And at the beginning of the speech, we spoke about 
from the khutbah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, مَنْ يَهْدِهِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ Whoever guides, no one can misguide. Allah was guiding this boy. And Allah guides those who want to be guided, who have hearts of guidance. And this was Yusuf alayhi salam. That here, he's being treated in a very unprofessional way, in a very oppressive way, but we see nothing of bad speech, or vulgar language, or incorrect usage of the tongue, or incorrect character emanating from him. Rather, we see him true to his fitrah. So Allah tells us that he was helped at that position. When Yusuf is abducted by the people of the caravan, when they lift him out of the well, and decide that we will hide him in our caravan and transport him to another land and make some money by selling him off as a slave, be free money, didn't cost us anything. The Qur'an teaches us that Yusuf was silent. Because the Qur'an doesn't tell us that Yusuf said anything. Yusuf was silent. He didn't speak at that moment and say, what are you doing, you thieves? We see a proactive Yusuf. And the scholars of tafsir, and the scholars of education, and the scholars of history, have sat down with these different moments in the, in the life of Yusuf to analyze the character of the person. To say that subhanallah, this young boy when he was abducted, he was thinking with a maturity level far greater than those around him. Why? Because what benefit would he have received had he have screamed and shouted and called out his case? Because there was nowhere else for him to go. If he went back home, he was going home to a group of people that clearly were out to get him. So he remained silent. In the slave market of Egypt, no complaints at all. And Allah helps him by sending him from the elite. Those who purchased him and placed them in a palatial home. In the home, through tadabbur and, and deliberation, we ponder how Yusuf was a proactive citizen in this environment as well. How? Because we learn that even though he was the slave, one of the most powerful women of the land was falling in love with him. It wasn't just for his beauty. Because we know that people are attracted to people of character. There was a character that was emanating from him. And we know that he ended up being the minister of finance, as some of the scholars say, after living in the home of the minister of finance. Which means Yusuf wasn't a slave boy crying, and acting as if the world has come to an end, and acting as if this, what's the point of living? I don't have my parents, my brothers did this to me, now I'm a slave, I'm being oppressed, what's the use? Right? I'm making dua to Allah, nothing's changing, in fact it's getting worse. After every dua, I'm going through a bigger test. We don't see this, this depression. We don't see this retrogression from the boy. Rather we see him being a boy growing up in this home, learning from the minister of finance his trade. We see him active and proactive with such character that the wife of the minister of finance is becoming attracted to him. Right? Then when she locks him in a room and decides to do haram with him and he refrains her and her husband finds them, and then she accuses him of attempting to rape her, finally we hear Yusuf's voice. Finally, the whole story, you only hear Yusuf's voice at the beginning when he's telling his father about the sun and the moon and the stars that were bowing down to him. After that, complete silence. Why? If you're going to speak, speak a good word or remain silent. Park your, your tongue, close your gates, open your ears, 
Become an observer. Learn and observe. Because you might learn something that will take you out of the hole that you're in. But if you're too busy talking, you have no time to observe. The tongue is an output device. The ears are input devices. We do this in IT, right? We talk about output devices, input devices. Right? So if your output device is constantly on, you're not going to multitask that well. Now today the youth say we're good at multitasking. Huh? Uh, from my experience, they are just better at being distracted. It's not called multitasking. It's just a nice term to butter distraction. We say, no, we're not distracted, we're multitasking. And this is what some of the young boys and girls say, for those who are here. So they'll talk to you whilst typing on their phone. You say, but that's not respectful. You say, no, no, we're multitasking. Let's carry on talking. We, uh, we're with you. <laughs> right? So if you can close your output device and open your input devices, you're going to develop as a person. And if you think about it, Yusuf, his incident with the minister's wife happened after Allah teaches us that he reached this, this portion in his life where he was defined as a should. And the scholars say, a should refers to a person at the age of 40 or close to 40. When you reach the completeness or the peak of your mental and physical abilities. As they say, you develop until 40. After 40, it's, it's downhill. The eyesight becomes weaker. Hearing becomes weaker. The quickness of the mind becomes weaker. Some of the young people are smiling. Now don't go home and tell your parents that, hey, you guys are older than 40. Yeah? Because the, when you get over 40, maybe other things get weaker, but wisdom gets higher. Right? The parents have high wisdom. Allah compensates it with wisdom. We know that the elders, mashallah, they have a wisdom that the youth don't have even though the youth can see longer and hear uh, better, but they can't, they don't have a wisdom as the elders have. And I, I highlight this because obviously I see, mashallah, many of your children are here. Uh, in some of my experience working with some of the, the, the young people, uh, they, they have this thing that, you know, we're more educated than our parents, or we know more than our parents, and we know this and our parents don't know. And they tend to see themselves as more advanced. And, and my message to them is, if you stand on the shoulders of your father, you can obviously see further than him. But because you're standing on his shoulders. So don't take away from the person whose shoulders you're standing on. Right? Yes, acknowledge that mashallah you have a bigger degree than uh, the other elders in your community. Uh, they didn't have the degrees you have. But don't forget that you wouldn't be where you are if it wasn't for, for them. So that is just a little message to share with our younger uh, audience here. That no matter how quick you are, no matter how bright you are, no matter how clever you are, no matter how many degrees you have, don't ever think you are better than the previous generation. Why? Because if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be there. So coming back to this thing here, finally, we hear the voice of Yusuf, this point about proactiveness and being a proactive citizen. Finally, we hear the voice of Yusuf, which means Yusuf is plus 40. If we analyze the timeline of the story, he's plus 40, right? So he, he's in, he, this total silence from Yusuf from the time he was about seven or eight, uh, in which the scholars say he saw the dream around seven or eight years of age. So this conversation happened around seven or eight or six. There's total silence until he's plus 40, 40 plus. Why? Because when she accused him of trying to rape her, finally he spoke. Finally Yusuf alayhi salam spoke. Qala, Finally, Allah tells us Yusuf speaks. And this is, this is wisdom. 
that you do the right thing at the right time in the right way. If there's no need to speak, remain silent. And if there's a need to speak, this is from wisdom speak. He spoke then and said, no, it is she who tried to seduce me. And the scholars actually deduce a fiqh ruling from this particular portion of the story. And that is, it is compulsory to speak up if your honor is at stake. But if somebody accuses you of something which doesn't affect your honor, you don't see your honor being harmed as a result. It's not going to affect you getting married. It's not going to affect you getting a job. It's not going to affect you, affect people listening to your da'wah, to your advice. Then there's no need to respond to it. There's no need to respond to it. One of our teachers said, uh, he says that if you throw stones to every dog that barks, a time will come when you'll have no stones left. And you might need them. So there's no need, right? There's no need to defend yourself with every accusation that comes to you. But you need to analyze it. Does this accusation, does it affect my honor? Will it affect my marriage? Will it affect my children's marriage? For example, will it affect my children in any way? For example, will it uh, prevent me getting a job? Will it, will it prevent people listening to my advice, to my da'wah? Accepting my testimony, for example. If this is the case, then speak up. Because Yusuf spoke up because now his honor was at stake. If he didn't defend himself, he didn't need to defend himself when they called him a slave when he wasn't. Right? He didn't need to defend himself when his brothers kidnapped him. He didn't need to defend himself when he was being transported out of Egypt as an innocent boy, when he was being slapped around in the slave markets of Egypt. There's silence from him. But here he needs to, why? Because if he doesn't, the news will go out of the, of the palace to the city that this boy is a possible rapist. And then what happens after that? Your ratings go down. So he was proactive in the home of the minister. He was proactive in the slave markets. He was proactive in his home. How he's going to his father and asking his father the question. And we will discuss this more inshallah on Saturday when we talk about leadership. Bidnillahi ta'ala. Then, he's thrown into prison. Why? For no reason. He's totally innocent. But Yusuf alayhi salam, he is thrown into prison because the women of the city, along with the minister's wife, gave him an ultimatum. It's either you commit adultery, or we will imprison you and throw away the key. He's proactive. Allah makes us hear his voice again. Where he says to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أَسِّجْنُ أَحَبُّ إِلَيْهِ Prison is more beloved to me than that which they call me to. And Ya Allah, if you don't take me, if you don't cause me to go into this prison, I will be forced to remain in this environment. And I'm a human being. At the peak of my age, I will be inclined towards what they're calling me to. He's making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is pre- he's being proactive. In that test, he's being proactive. And before that, when he was locked up in the room, when all the windows were shut, and the doors were shut, and she said, Hey Talak, come to me. He said, We hear the voice of Yusuf. I seek refuge in Allah. I seek refuge in, in Allah. You see, proactive in that environment. He's acting as a worthy citizen, even when the only one who can see him besides her is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is a worthy citizen, brothers and sisters in Islam. Where you are worthy in every circumstance and situation that you are in. You are proactive in every environment. After this, he's thrown into prison and the key is thrown away. 
But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us immediately that as he's put into prison, two other people are put into prison. And they see a dream. And they go to Yusuf. They don't know who Yusuf is. But they choose him out of everyone else in the prison to ask this question. For help in interpreting the dream. Analyze this brothers and sisters in Islam. Why would they go to him and not anyone else? Because clearly they saw a proactive body in the prison. They saw him as a person of knowledge. How did they see him as a person of knowledge? In the way he behaved. He wasn't crying in a corner complaining. That now how many years I miss my father, I miss my brothers, I miss my parents. I, uh, you know, it's getting going from bad to worse, from the slave market to this, to that. Now I'm in prison, now the key is thrown away, now I'm lost. We don't, if he was doing that, no one would go to him. They would see him as a sorry soul. This is not the way of a believer. The way of the believer is, wherever you put me, I have Allah in my heart. What, what can you take away from me? This is Yusuf. No matter what happened to him, he was proactive. Why? He didn't lose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was proactive. And in every circumstance, he teaches us the meaning of proactive. That sometimes it's proactive for you to keep your mouth shut. Sometimes it's proactive for you to speak. Sometimes it's proactive for you to run as if a lion is chasing you. Because that's what he did when she, when she called him to her. He ran for the door. And we know that he was running so fast because she grabbed him in the shirt toe. If he was not running with speed or pushing away with force and effort, it wouldn't have torn. This is tadabbur. We must ponder. Allah says, أَفَلَا Quran. Do you not ponder over the book that you read? Allah says, ponder over the ayat, ponder over the meanings. There's lessons behind lessons, lessons behind lessons, lessons behind lessons. Extract them. It's a guidance for you. That's why you can never get bored reading the Quran. It's not like a book you read once and say, I already know what's in it. No, because when you read it again, Allah will teach you some more. And some more. Allah opens to your heart newer lessons. All I'm sharing with you brothers and sisters is, re- I'm sure as I'm sharing it to you, you're thinking, subhanAllah, that's true. Why don't we think of it? Right? If you just gave the Quran a chance, these lessons would dawn upon you as well. So sometimes being proactive is to run for the door. And sometimes being proactive is to remain silent, as we said. Sometimes being proactive is to make dua to Allah, to put you in a situation that everyone sees as worse. But you know it's better for you. Prison is better for me than being in this palace. What's the point if I stay in the palace and I lose Allah? Rather I go to the prison, which doesn't have the amenities of this life, but I have my Allah with me. Okay. Now he's in the prison. We know he's proactive because these two guys wouldn't have come to him. If, he, if it was otherwise. Then what happens? He takes a proactive stance by telling one of them who was going to be freed, that listen, when you get freed, go and mention me to the king. He's taking the means to get out of prison. Can you see this? Why ask the person? When you made dua to Allah to place you there, why are you asking this person to go tell the king about you? Because you're taking the means. That the king might run an investigation and this might be a means for me to get out. This is proactivity. But this person who is freed forgets. And Yusuf spends so many years in the prison. But whilst he's in prison, the king sees a dream. And then the king needs an interpretation. And because it's a, it's a strange dream. Seven fat cows being killed by seven thin cows. Seven fat, healthy pieces of crop being mutilated by seven wilting pieces of crop. What does this mean? So he speaks to his governors. 
his closest circle of advisors. And no one can advise him. They say, you know what, you just had a bad dream, forget about it. But this guy who's pouring wine in the palace, he hears this conversation, he goes, hold on, I know someone who can help you. Subhanallah. You see, the, you see when you're pro- proactive, what happens? When you're proactive, this is what happens, brothers and sisters in Islam. You make an impact on someone's life. And you create an impression of yourself within someone. That even years later, they'll remember you. So what happens? The king says, alright, go to that someone and get me the meaning of this dream. So the person comes to the prison, Allah says, Ayyuhas Siddiq, he calls out to Yusuf, oh truthful one, aftina, give me the meaning. No formalities. Hey uh, Yusuf, how are you doing? How's it been? Wallahi, I'm feeling shy. You told me to mention you to the king, I totally forgot. Now it's been five years, six years, you've been in the prison. Please forgive me. No, nothing. He's, he's forgotten Yusuf's request. He doesn't even know that he didn't fulfill a promise that he made. He just goes and says, Yusuf, give us the meaning to this dream. And what does Yusuf do? What would you do, brothers and sisters? He'd say, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, brother. Hold on. Now, who do you think I am? You know, today we say this, huh? That look, why are they walking over me? Right? No, it doesn't work like this, Habibi. Ma'alesh, yani. It doesn't work like this. You don't just come, no salam, no kalam, no sorry, no nothing. Just say, give me fatwa. You think God, I work for you? Yeah. Yusuf listens and his trust is in Allah. Not only does he give, them, give him the meaning of the dream, he gives him the solution. He goes, this is the meaning of the dream. There's going to be seven years of rainfall and then seven years of drought. Go and tell the king. But also go and tell him what he needs to do. In the seven years of rainfall, he needs to plant and plant and plant and portion what is shared with the community and store the rest by leaving the crop in its, uh, in its stem. Giving him detailed solutions here. So now this person who is a wine squeezer in the king's palace comes and goes, this is the meaning of the dream, this is the solution. Obviously the king is clever. The king is clever. The king says, hold on, hold on. Who is this guy who gives you the meaning and the solution? Call him here. So he goes back, says the king is calling you. Look at proactive Yusuf. Yusuf says, I'm not coming out. Until the king investigates what happened to Yusuf when he was thrown into prison. He's clearing his name. Why? Save my honor. Why? Because people in the city are going to say what? He was in prison for what reason? What do you think? Because he didn't want to answer the call of the women of the city? Or because he was trying to do something wrong to the women of the city? Right? So Yusuf is defending his honor. Proactive. He says, no. I'm going to, now you're giving me a chance to come out of prison. I'm going to choose to stay in prison. It's proactive. And we can go on and on and on. Subhanallah. I mean, we can move from here uh, on to economics, how to run economies, uh, you know, the, the lesson about the criterion to look for on a CV when hiring someone. All this is from Surah Yusuf. Wallahi, this surah is massive. But inshallah, you get my point, brothers and sisters, of point number uh, two or three, that from the lessons of Surah Yusuf is to become a proactive individual irrespective of your circumstance. What do I mean by proactive? As I said, it could mean different things at different times. But a person who is beneficial to himself and the people, a person who is blessed to himself and the people, and you should make this dua to Allah, 
Just like Isa alayhi salam mentioned to his people when he was a baby, Allah has made me blessed wherever I am. And this is what a proactive person is. That you are blessed wherever you are. That irrespective of what people do to you, you are an inspiration to everybody. Irrespective of what people do to you, as long as you haven't lost Allah, you are upon the paradigm of having lost nothing. Which gives you the strength to showcase your iman. And from showcasing your iman is to be proactive by doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. Brothers and sisters in Islam, inshallah, uh, even if we went home today with just two lessons from Surah Yusuf, the importance of the tongue and the importance of uh, being a proactive citizen irrespective of our environment, inshallah we've gone home with great good. Obviously, uh, we know that the crux of the surah is a surah about patience. And uh, inshallah you've heard uh, this lesson in other lectures before, I do have talks online related to Surah Yusuf, uh, an entire series um, related to the Surah, and also some individual talks uh, in which we discuss uh, some of the other lessons from the Surah. Please be um, proactive in looking out for them. Uh, Insha'Allah, one of the lessons which I promise uh, I promise to share with you during the series, we will share it bi'nillahi ta'ala, and that is parenting in practice from Surah Yusuf. And we will share that lesson, inshallah, on Saturday during the talk about leadership begins at home. Uh, everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and He's perfect, and any mistakes are from myself and shaitan. And I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Brothers and sisters in Islam, once again, I, love, uh, I want to extend a heartfelt gratitude for being here. Really, it's an honor uh, to be. Uh, teaching the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in yet another land uh, to brothers and sisters who I love for the sake of Allah. I haven't told you that, but know that, and I will tell you now that I love you all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive our past and inspire our futures. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve us in His obedience. Ameen. And gather us together to complete the series and inshallah many series in the future. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.